listening to the RPC Sermons Podcast. Today's message is a part of our sermon series, How Shall We Live? You can join us for virtual worship every Sunday at roswellpress.org. Thanks for listening. Good morning and welcome to Roswell Presbyterian Church. Thank you so much for joining us for worship today. Today we continue our generosity season. This is the season where we take time out to discuss the financial plans of the church as we look to 2021. We ask for you to prayerfully reflect on what God is calling you to commit to give financially next year. And this allows our leadership the opportunity to set a reasonable budget so we can be realistic and really responsible with the resources God has given us to do the work of ministry. This year, again, we're asking you to make two pledges. One, to the general operating budget, which pays for the staff and the lights and the video camera that's allowing you to see this. And then also we ask for a second pledge to give above and beyond that to our mission budget. And all that money goes to our mission partners, both here locally and around the world, to make a big difference in people's lives. I know that (laughs) we can barely predict what's going to happen next week, let alone next year. But please do your best. It allow us to do our best in in doing the ministry God calls us to. God has been faithful for over 180 years through Roswell Presbyterian Church to do ministry. And so we're going to continue to courageously serve. Well, today we look and continue at our sermon series, Inside Out. We believe that God gathers us together in the church builds us up, and then God sends us out to do the work of ministry. That is what we are called to do, to be a part of that process of gathering, building up, and sending out. So let us look at this great passage from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 15. Listen for the word of the Lord. The point is this, the one who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the one who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each of you must give as you have made up your mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance, so that by always having enough of everything, you may share abundantly in every good work. As it is written, he scatters abroad, he gives to the poor, his righteousness endures forever." He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for your great generosity, which will provide and produce thanksgiving to God through us. For the rendering of this ministry not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also overflows with many thanksgivings to God. Through the testing of this ministry, you glorify God by your obedience to the confession of the gospel of Christ and by the generosity of your sharing with them and with all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God that he has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we ask that in the next few moments you might be our teacher, that you might Teach us to have generous hearts, Lord, that we might realize this indescribable gift that we have been given and that it might bubble up and flow out of our lives into the work of ministry in the world. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The secret to generosity is relaxed concentration. 
I've recently been reading Timothy Galloway's book, The Inner Game of Tennis. The subtitle for the book is The Classic Guide to the Mental Side of Peak Performance. See, Tim is a tennis coach, and he works with both beginners and advanced players. He works with tennis uh, players, but, you know, his principles and his concepts and methods could be used in any sport, really uh, in any kind of endeavor. In fact, Seattle Seahawks coach Pete Carroll actually wrote the most recent forward to the recent edition of the book. Well, in the book, Tim argues that many coaches are counterproductive in the way they teach players to improve their game. He says that they often tell their players to change the, the way they swing their racket. Swing it, swing it, go bring it back further back so you won't hit the ball out. They tell them to correct what they're doing wrong, but they tell them to focus in on what they do wrong, and the, the player becomes so focused in on what they're doing wrong that they don't do what is right. They tend to work too hard on per, getting it perfect that they end up missing it altogether. He says, the mind's ego takes over, and you're too busy talking to yourself, too busy thinking about thinking that you can't get it right. He said, the secret to success in tennis and in so many endeavors is relaxed concentration. He says, when you are practicing relaxed concentration, the mind and body are one, they're in sync. You find a, a natural rhythm, a natural grace, and execution becomes like second nature. You will be present to the present moment, and you'll stop thinking about thinking. While I am interested in sports performance, I'm even more interested in the optimal performance and flourishing of the Christian life. It is my belief that one of the key factors preventing people from flourishing in the Christian life is the inability to practice relaxed concentration with their possessions. I believe this personal flourishing begins with a transformation from the inside out. From the very beginning, this has been a problem for human beings. We become attached to our things. Objects tend to transfix us. They get a hold of us. And when we look at them wrongly, they in some mysterious way control us. Even in the first humans experienced this. In the third chapter of the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, it reads, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. The very tree that God said, don't eat from, you can eat from any other tree, but don't eat this tree. But they looked at it, and they saw it was good for food. It was a delight to the eyes. They were almost hypnotized by it, and they couldn't stop themselves. And so they disobeyed and rebelled against God's command, and they ruined everything. God, you see, created the world and called it good. The world is good, but it is our misuse of good things that makes them bad. It is our misuse of good things that makes them bad. And so every year during generosity, we have a couple of goals. First, we want people to give us an idea of what they plan to give next year. It's just us being responsible leaders as we look to the future. But we also want to help people have the appropriate relationship with their belongings, with their stuff. We want to have a good relationship. We want to reflect and think about what we own. What are these resources we have? Are we appropriately relating to our stuff? 
I think there are three ways we can be related to our possessions. Number one, we can be obsessed with them. The Apostle Paul writes, each of you must give as you have made up your mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Let's be honest, it's hard to be cheerful about giving away what you're obsessed with. See, when I I think of the hyper-attachment to our stuff or our over-attachment to our belongings, I can't help but think of Gollum in Lord of the Rings. He becomes so obsessed with the ring, it's his precious, he repeats it over and over. He is so obsessed with it that it disforms his very body. You see, in Return of the King, we discover that he actually was raised as a, a normal average hobbit. But when he accidentally finds the ring, he becomes obsessed with it, and it transforms him, and I think it's safe to say, not for the better. (laughs) The lure of the ring seduces and eventually corrupts him. This is one of the reasons I'm here, to keep, keep you all from turning in to Gollum, from being corrupted by your stuff. This is the coach or the opponent's role in sports, to help you get better. Listen to what Tim Galloway says in his book, he says, once one recognizes the value of having difficult obstacles to overcome, it is a simple matter to see the true benefit that can be gained from competitive sports. In tennis, who is it that provides a person with the obstacles he needs in order to experience his highest limits? His opponent, of course. Then is your opponent a friend or an enemy? He is a friend to the extent that he does his best to make things difficult for you. Only by playing the role of your enemy does he become your true friend. Only by competing with you does he, in fact, cooperate. No one wants to stand around on the court waiting for the big wave. In this use of competition, it is the duty of your opponent to create the greatest possible difficulties for you, just as it is yours to try to create obstacles for him. Only by doing this do you give each other the opportunity to find out to what heights each can rise. That's the role I'm trying to play with you all today, to help you think about your relationship with your stuff, to make it a little uncomfortable, to make it a little difficult, to challenge you, to challenge each of us, to challenge myself so that we can see and figure out to what heights we can rise together. So on one end of the spectrum, you can be overly obsessed or attached to your belongings, to your wealth, to your stuff. But on the other end of the spectrum, it's to not care about them at all. Now, I doubt for most of us, we probably don't struggle with this, but I do see it from time to time. I've met people who are almost nihilistic about their possessions. They don't plan for the future. They don't have a rainy day fund. They don't write a budget. They don't ask for help or mentoring or advice when it comes to their finances. And this can be dangerous. Our finances are personal to us. And usually we like to keep them as private as possible. I know one theologian who wanted to challenge the assumption that people's finances were private. And he said that when people were going to join a church as part of the new members class, they should make those people go and stand in front of the church and then tell everybody what their salary is. Don't worry, we're not going to do that. But I found the suggestion so shocking, it made me reflect on my relationship to my stuff and to my wealth. Oh, 
not care about it too much, but also to still care about it. In fact, in our tradition in the Presbyterian Church USA, when a pastor is called to the church, it's in our tradition that the terms of call, the salary and the benefits are publicly voted on. They're not hidden, but they're public. So we know, we know what people are being paid. So we know that we are taking care of them, but they're also not exploiting the church. It's a public endeavor. I think it's important that we have transparency in our finances. I think it's of critical importance. For the church budget, it's included in the minutes for every session meeting for the elders to look at, to analyze. You can look at it too. You can see how we are spending our money, how we are doing the work of ministry. And I must tell you, we run a well-oiled operation. We run our ministries because these are what God calls us to do. We take responsibility. We take it seriously. You know, when I do premarital counseling with couples, one of the big areas we talk about is a couple's finances. I tell them that the two most prevalent areas couples will fight about are sex and money. To not care about them is to risk a lot of trouble down the line. I know a woman who got married without discussing her finances with her future partner. After they got married, she discovered that her husband was in substantial debt, and she didn't know about it. And as I like to remind people, when you marry someone, you're not just marrying that person, you're also marrying their debt. Well, this debt destroyed this marriage's, this couple's marriage and their relationship. Well, RPC is a place where we care about our finances so we can do the work of ministry that God calls us to. So what's an appropriate understanding of our wealth? How can we have relaxed concentration when it comes to our possessions? Well, third, I think we have to constantly remember that all we have is not ours, it's God's. I have to repeat myself from a sermon a few weeks ago. It's my favorite quote that I've come across this year. It comes from Joy Davidman's book, the 1953 book, Smoke on the Mountain, where she discusses the Ten Commandments. When discussing the, the Eighth Commandment about coveting, she talks about property and she talks about the socialist and the capitalist view of property and how they, they both use Jesus to back up their views. And then she says this, the most interesting thing is, most churches have always agreed on a Christian and common sense view of property, so familiar that we are in danger of forgetting it. Property is neither sin nor inalienable right, but alone a trust from God. It's so common sense. We can forget that all we have, we don't really own. It's just a loan from God. It's truly God's. All we own, in fact, all of the world is God's. And with that position, it reorients our relationship to our stuff and to our property. It reminds us to remember that we just have a loan from God. It also shows us we must honor what God has loaned others. And then we must be generous with what we have. This inner game of generosity, of not being obsessed with your stuff, of not thinking too little about it, but recognizing that it's God's. It's relaxed concentration, holding it with open hands, knowing God has loaned it to you to use for ministry. 
I love the Apostle Paul's words to the church in Corinth when he talks to them about contributing financially to the work of ministry. Listen to this. He says, you will be enriched in every way for your great generosity, which will produce thanksgiving to God through us. For the rendering of this ministry not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also overflows with many thanksgivings to God. I can't tell you how thankful I am for your generosity. You would be embarrassed to see the happy dance I do every Sunday when I see those donations coming in, when I see offerings and tithes coming in. I just say, thank you, Lord, for the faithfulness of this community to give to the work of ministry that's been given it for over 180 years. In fact, just the last week, I was so blessed We received two, count them, two in the same week, two donations from people who are worshiping with us online who don't even live in Georgia. They're so committed to the work and ministry that we're doing here at RPC. They sent checks and donations to us to continue the work of ministry here in Roswell and around the world. Two in one week, I was so blessed. When I used to work in Midtown, I became friends with a guy who washed dishes at the Fox Theater. He would introduce himself as Homeless Joe. Homeless Joe was quite a guy. He knew everything that was going on in Atlanta. He could tell you what concerts you could go to, what the best restaurants were, where you could park for free. It was amazing. Homeless Joe knew everything. Well, every time I would walk down Peachtree Street and Joe would see me, he would walk over to me and he would say, Pastor Myers. Do you know what the greatest nation in the world is? And I would say, I don't know, Joe, which nation? And he would smile, put out his hand, and he would say, the Doe Nation. (laughs) And I would give him money for a sandwich because every time I thought it was so funny and he was so clever. But now that I'm a pastor, (laughs) I'm asking you to commit to our ministry next year. And I agree with Joe, the greatest nation in the world is the Doe Nation. When you give, you allow us to do the work of ministry and make an impact in people's lives. Over the past few weeks, during our services, we've tried to highlight some of our mission partners so you can see what's going on. Today, I want to highlight the North Georgia Habitat for Humanity. I did an interview with one of their directors at a house, a Habitat house that's being built, and we talked about this ministry, the ministry that RPC has been partnering with them since 1995, and I want to share it with you so you can see and be inspired about the difference we are making in people's lives in a really practical way. Check out our interview. Hi, my name is Jeff Myers, one of the pastors at Roswell Presbyterian Church, and I'm here with Sabrina Kirkland, who's the Director of Community Engagement with Habitat for Humanity. Sabrina, how does somebody get a home with Habitat? Well, it's a pretty grueling process, Jeff, and um, our families have to do an application process and qualify um, through three different criteria. First is need. They obviously have to need a home, and uh, some of those ways that we uh, qualify them through need is whether they are living in substandard housing or if they have overcrowded situation where they have multiple families living in a home or their rent is too high which is um, most of of our families have that issue in our area which their rent is more than 50 percent of their income here we are in the family room sabrina tell us a little bit about these families what are they like 
families that really just want shelter, want somewhere stable and secure to live. We've got the laundry room in here, storage area and laundry. And then this is the kitchen and dining. Serena, tell us about what do these families struggle with when we think about food and food insecurity? The reason that happens is all their money goes towards rent, so they don't focus on maybe buying groceries for their kids or good healthy foods for their kids. When they get into their home, this changes. They realize that they have uh, extra money because their mortgage is a lot lower than the rent that they've been paying. Um, so those funds open up and they can buy groceries and they get more secure in their uh, uh, healthy choices and they're able to uh, do a little bit more in that aspect of it. They're impressive buildings. I mean, the stairs, all these rooms. There's plenty of space on these rooms. We make them completely uh, accessible so uh, they can get in and out of the doors like, yeah. and, and, and up the stairs. Here we are in the kids' room. What do kids feel like? What is their reaction when they get their new room? Oh, well, it varies from kid to kid, but I can tell you that they all are so excited to move into their own space, even if they share it with a brother or sister. Um, but I can remember um, the story of a little girl. Her name was Anna, and she sat in her room when we did, we did the dedication. And she's sitting in the room, and I come walking in, and I said, what, what are you doing? And she says, I'm just thinking. And I said, well, what are you thinking about? She says, I'm thinking about painting my room. And I said, well, what color are you going to paint it? She says, I'm going to paint it pink. And, you know, most little girls like pink. So you would think that that's okay. And I said, well, so you like pink? She says, yeah, it was my little sister's favorite color. So I chose that because I want her to come in and read books with me at night before we go to bed. I cried <laughs> and I still am tearing up to this day. So Roswell Presbyterian Church has been partnering with Habitat for Humanity for a long time. What kind of impact is that partnership making in our community? Since our inception in 1995, RPC has been involved through financial contributions and volunteers hammering nails. And that has impacted over 320 families in our service area. Wow, that's impact. Yes. Thank you so much, Sabrina. Thank you so much for your ministry. And thank you for making a difference from the inside out. Isn't that amazing? Let us not be overly attached to our stuff, but let us not be careless about it either. But remember, let, let us remember that everything we have is God's. And we use it to do God's work and ministry in the world. Places like Habitat, the Drake House, our children's ministry, our mission outreach program, helping with the food insecure, visiting shut-ins, the ministry you're helping, help us continue it. Make a pledge, make a commitment online, or the commitment cards that you receive in the mail. Because you remember, the greatest nation in the world is the donation. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for your generous and indescribable gift you've given us in Jesus Christ. We pray that we might receive it, we might be built up in Christ, but then we might, it might flow out into the world. And we might minister to a world desperately in need. We thank you that you call us to that great work. In your name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the RPC Sermons Podcast. Please let us know you're here by visiting roswellpress.org and signing our digital friendship register.
May the grace and love of God be with you today and throughout the rest of your week. Thanks for listening.